This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be hosting this episode. This week, web editor Alex visits Peruvian restaurant Ceviche to find out how to craft the perfect Pisco Sour cocktail. Later, editorial assistant Ellie is introduced to the Calsot, a giant spring onion that has its own festival. But first up, editor Laura speaks to the UK's hottest new vegan chef, Gaz Oakley, about vegan junk food, why we should all be cooking with seitan, and more. I'm here with 25-year-old Gaz Oakley, who will be better known to some as the avant-garde vegan, with more than 300,000 YouTube subscribers and 185,000 Instagram followers, Cardiff chef turned blogger Gaz is also now a cookery book author with his debut book, which came out in January, Vegan 100. I got the chance to sample some of Gaz's meat-free food last night at a special pop-up for 50 people, was it Gaz? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, dinner with Gaz at Harvey Nichols, which I was told sold out in under an hour, which is yeah, crazy. It is crazy, <laughs> And uh, it was nice being back in the kitchen uh, doing a proper service, although at the time I was so stressed. Um, I was kind of regretting it, but to walk out after after doing that um, was amazing and to hear everyone's good reception to the food, um, I was really pleased. So. Yeah, you should be. Um, so, Gaz, why are people going so mad for vegan food and your vegan food in particular? Um, well, I'd say that everyone is now becoming more and more aware of why people go vegan yeah. in terms of um, animal rights, um, the uh, agriculture and, and what the effect animal agriculture is having on the planet, sorry, so the environmental impact and also the health benefits that you get from eating a vegan yeah. diet. But in terms of my um, food, I try and um, recreate some of the classic uh, dishes um, flavors that i once loved uh, i try and to i try to recreate um so i guess they're going down well because they everyone sort of especially in britain grew up eating a similar diet i guess yeah. and so, so for example fish my vegan fish and chips that's something i miss so i veganized it and yeah that was one of my first recipes on youtube that went down really well so yeah so we tried that last night actually so oh, you do like tofu uh do you marinate that as well in lots of like seaweed and things like that yeah so then i put um uh sea uh nori on the back of it yeah to look uh, like skin that was yeah really smoked salt and it also gives it the taste of the sea flavour yeah. as well. And um, smoked salt and lemon juice and then cook it in a, a nice beer batter. Yeah. yeah, and gorgeous chips. And I love yes. the mushy peas and oh, tartar good. sauce. Do you like the little bottle of uh, I did. as well? Gaz had these really cool little um, bespokely made tomato yes. ketchup. This was very, yeah. very cool. Um, yeah, because we've kind of gone from vegan books being really niche and probably a bit scary and thinking they're all type of one cuisine to them being mainstream and bestsellers now. So... What are the types of foods that you're cooking? I mean, we mentioned the fish and chips, but tell us a bit about some of the key ingredients that make your book really special. So we've got things like Satan, for example, which some of our listeners might not have cooked with at home before or even tried before. So tell us a bit about Yeah, definitely. And when, when I first went vegan, I didn't know what uh, Satan was, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, when I was a chef, I'd never heard of it either and I yeah. um, would never have cooked with it. Uh, but it's something that I had to learn quickly how to use and because you can create some amazing things with it. Now, seitan, um, also known as wheat gluten, yeah. is um, a product that ancient monks used to 
cook with to because wow. obviously they're traditionally vegetarian yeah um to use as their meat replacement in their dishes so i've modernized it um you could now buy it in in bags just like you would plain flour yeah in, so it's in, like a flour to start yeah, with definitely. and then you add in flavorings and yes liquid. so that's the dry element to my uh, recipe and then i add different flavors depending on what i want to recreate so in the book i have uh, KFC <laughs> style chicken pieces so that I um, add some more neutral flavors yeah. um, and then I also have a fillet steak wellington in the book so we I tried add that last re- night too. <laughs> yeah so I add really like umami flavors such as red wine porcini mushrooms and things like that and you can make some amazing things with wheat gluten I love experimenting with it recently I did um, vegan ribs on my YouTube channel as well yeah. so let's talk about your YouTube channel as well okay. because that's been going incredibly well so yes. is it it's not that old either it's only like a year no, and a half is that uh well 13 months wow yes lucky 13 so yeah. yeah how did that come about why why youtube and why do you um, think you've been so successful well the instagram um was about six months old and it was going down really well so i started on instagram i was uploading pictures of my food using my phone at first and i got a camera and i was olive magazine was a huge inspiration in terms of food <laughs> photography um and the recipes are going down so well that I thought, right, the next stage is to go over to YouTube. Um, mm. I hadn't had any sort of TV or um, being on camera experience other than <laughs> one cameo on Britain's Best Dish when I was I, like 14 I years old. I read this. It's so cool. So what was the best dish you cooked on there? <laughs> I was actually made fish and chips, but actual <laughs> fish and chips. Um, I was only 14. I don't know where I got the confidence to do that. Um, but uh, A sign of it, things to come, clearly. Yeah. But then I went on camera to do my first YouTube video and I was so nervous. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I thought I couldn't do it. I got the videos back after, uh, um, and I just thought, no, nah, this isn't for me. But uh, I invested heavily into the production and um, the, the second season that I filmed, I felt so much more confident and comfortable. Yeah. And uh, every time I film, I feel like I'm getting better. Yeah. And um, the recipes are getting even better as well. I know what, what goes down well on YouTube. But I know what people want to see. Yeah. And I also take into consideration, obviously, people's requests. So. Yeah, it's yeah. such an interactive platform, isn't it? Especially Definitely. that in Instagram. Yeah. Why do you think your recipes have been such a success on there as well? I think what, it's, and what are the most popular recipes on the channel? Um, well, I, I do think it's um, sort of playing on that those nostalgic um, flavours that we vegans miss, possibly. So I, uh, those type of recipes go down really well. But more recently, uh, my meal prep videos have been going down really I've well. I've watched those, they're great. Yeah, so I... I I didn't expect them to do so well. My first one was a high-protein meal prep because I'm into my sport and uh, I used to train in the gym more or less every day. And I wanted to show that you can get um, a high-protein diet from vegan food. And I filmed that and it's now got 1.2 million views on YouTube, which is crazy. And I also just done another meal prep video, a budget one, where I made 16 meals for four days, costing only £15 um, in ingredients. So um, the meal prep's go down really well I think just because it helps people um, just cook something up maybe on a Sunday yeah. ready for the week in work or stu- uh, college or something like that I've got a few questions to ask you based on yeah. that so one of them is why when and why did you become a vegan and the other one is what are the kind of the biggest challenges that vegans face when it comes to cooking because you talk about the protein and things like that what are the challenges you faced as a, as a chef and, and yeah. blogger yeah okay um, so I went vegan um, at the time, because I was training in the gym every night, I was eating that t- typical high-protein diet yeah. and um, just didn't feel too good. And um, it was something that I always thought I'd do, is, is, is go vegetarian or maybe vegan. 
And uh, I watched a few documentaries and a few activist speech on YouTube. And uh, there's one in particular that um, literally made me go vegan overnight. So, really? wow. Um, yeah. And uh, Who was that? It was uh, by an activist called Gary Orofsky, and okay. he's now retired, but... Um, amazing speech it's still on youtube today it's been viewed millions and millions of yeah. times and um yeah so that made me go vegan overnight <laughs> and the challenges that i have in the kitchen um at first i guess because i don't really find any challenges anymore which is nice <laughs> um but I, I i it was i was quick to realize that you need to inject flavor yeah at every stage so that's what I was taught when I was in the kitchens anyway but because um, you started cooking when you were 15 or 16 yes right? yeah I got my first part-time chef job when I was 15 and then went full-time at 16 but uh, yeah so you're told to season at every stage but um, I guess generally um, the flavor of meat or fish um, adds a lot to dishes but obviously when you don't have that you need to make sure that you're bringing out the flavor of the butternut squash or yeah. making sure that you're adding a good base to your um, to your dishes maybe by using you know some onion celery some garlic um adding seasoning at every stage and having a good uh, uh, store cupboard of dried herbs and spices always helps inject some flavour. Yeah, at the front of the book, you've got a great section about saying sort of the key ingredients that are really useful for a vegan cook. Um, And a few more of those are things like nutritional yeast, which I presume you use in lots of the the nut milks and cheeses that you make. Um, Nutritional yeast is obviously a new ingredient. Um, When I went vegan, I I, um, I've discovered mm. nutritional yeast um, is used to to bring out some cheesy flavours, yeah. <laughs> and it's great. So I put that in all my cheeses. Um, uh, it's really surprising adding that it, in my mozzarella. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah a few tablespoons, and it, it's really cheesy. And that can be found at, it's in supermarkets now, which is amazing. Yeah, it's amazing the the progression we've had in yes. the last couple of years of the availability of ingredients and the types of ingredients you can use. What's kind of your favourite? Uh, ingredient or vegetable that you use as part of your vegan cooking? Oh, I love butternut squash. Yeah? Yeah, it's my favourite. How come? Um, just, uh, it's just so sweet and <laughs> I, I, I love it so much. I love how it goes so creamy in soups. You don't need yeah, to add anything. Yeah, it's just so really creamy, velvety. sweet. And I could literally eat a big bowl of that yeah, on its own. No, no season or anything. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, cool. And where do you get your inspiration from? Um, I was actually thinking this um, recently. Is this There isn't a sort of um, a vegan, like, James, uh, Gordon Ramsay chef out there that yeah. uh, you can sort of look up to but um, my inspirations now um, are trying to just recreate things that uh, I once missed yeah. trying to make vegan food more um, accessible for people and show people that it can be really tasty so that's just my my um, sort of inspiration just trying to show people how good it can be yeah definitely and you're from Cardiff right yes cool and what's it like being a vegan in Cardiff there are lots of great places to eat or shop or um I spend a lot of my time in London so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm spoiled when I come to London to, to eat out but um there's a few um restaurants popping up in Cardiff now um vegan restaurants that is is we have a lovely new vegan bakery just popped up oh, yeah? which is great yeah what's that called uh, blanche bakery blanche you should bakery. try that if okay. you're ever in cardiff and there's another re- uh, vegan restaurant called anna loca which has been there for a few years luckily it was open when i first went vegan just had opened in fact <laughs> so um, i was in there quite a lot at first and uh, yeah i actually did a pop-up there one of my first pop-ups oh, amazing uh, yeah it's lovely and what about in london if you're here all the time where do you like going here oh we've got some great places <laughs> in london um i love going to cook daily in Box Park. Yeah. Um, if I'm feeling like a treat, Templar Satan is amazing. <laughs> um, 
there's some amazing places we've got um, not to plug our own stuff but we've got a great feature on lots of plant-based restaurants in our March issue so if you want any more inspiration you should definitely have a look in there Um, and have you got any top tips for those that are looking to increase their vegan dining or you know go completely vegan what's what things should be should they be eating or doing or investing in checking out your YouTube channel (laughs) Um, so I reckon if you if you want to to take up a vegan diet definitely meal prep is one thing um and just sort of just experiment with things um don't be afraid to try tofu don't be afraid to play around with it like make meatballs from it it's yeah. really tasty i've got a good recipe in my book and um as i said make sure you have a, a good uh, pile of uh, dried uh, herbs and spices in your cupboard to inject some flavor in there eat the rainbow get as many fruit and vegetables as you can enjoy chickpeas they're amazing when you get eating them you <laughs> can are. make hummus and everything i, I love chickpeas and um yeah, there's there's no um honestly the, you can eat such an amazing diet being vegan I, I yeah i'm so pleased i am vegan and i'm so pleased i'm able to spread um the word on how good it is you are you're spreading a lot of joy which <laughs> we like you. um so what else is next for you um tv more books more pop-ups like the one at harvey nichols what have you got planned i think i need a rest after last <laughs> night um, um i'd love to do another book because that was the hardest thing trying to narrow down my recipe so i'd love to do another book one day um possibly in the future maybe have my own restaurant but um if i can would keep, that be in cardiff um i'm not sure where it'd be. <laughs> maybe somewhere sunny okay. <laughs> but um not cardiff <laughs> um I'm just happy doing what I'm doing at the moment, yeah. keep inspiring people to eat vegan. And um, if I can keep doing that, I'll be happy. And if if I get um, to the stage where I can have a restaurant, that would be a dream come true because I've always wanted to do that. Brilliant. All right. Thank you so much, Gaz. No problem. And, thank um, you. Keep inspiring us and we'll uh, speak to you thank soon. You. Thank you. Now let's hear from Alex about those cocktails. Hello. So I'm here with Martin Morales and we're at Ceviche Old Street. And Martin is the founder and chef at a lot of um, Peruvian restaurants in London. You've got a bit of a a collection going on, haven't you? Um, So we've got Ceviche Soho, Ceviche Old Street, Andina, Andina, Casita Andina. That's right. Yeah. Any others? No, that's it. That's it. (laughs) That's enough for now. (laughs) That's it. They're four beautiful, unique and very different uh, restaurants and bars. Great. Um, speaking of bars, we're here to talk about Pisco Sour Day and Pisco Sour Week, and thus Pisco Sours. So Pisco Sour Day internationally is on Saturday, the 3rd of February, so uh, very soon, um, tomorrow in fact. And um, you're having a Pisco Sour Week, aren't you, uh, at Ceviche? Is it across all of your restaurants? Yeah, it's across all the bars of the, of the restaurants that we have. Great, okay. So what are the origins of Pisco Sours? Uh, well, the origins of Pisco Sour, actually, it starts in a place called Pasco, Cerro de Pasco. Okay. And it's in the Andes of Peru. Okay, uh, so what, sorry to interrupt you, but there's a hot debate about who invented the Pisco Sour. Is it Chileans or Peruvians? So I know what you're going to say, you're going to say Peruvians. But why is there such a hot debate about who created it? There is a hot debate about who created Pisco. So it goes oh, back to that. right. But I Pisco see. Was, was created by Franciscan monks that came to the area now known as Peru. Right. And to a place that uh, was called Pisco in right. Peru. Right. Okay. Thousands of years before that, Pisco means little bird. Ah. And there was a tribe called the Piscos. And the 
containers that housed the pisco um, that the Franciscan monks first made in, um, in, in, in the 1600s was, uh, was called pisco, the, the, the container, the, the, the terracotta container. Right. So that is from an area called pisco. It's been there for thousands of years. Chileans enjoy pisco as well. They make their own. It's very, very different. But you um, created it. <laughs> we have standards of exactly what we want made, but we created it. And we have a place that's called that that is part of our national heritage. Okay. That's the pisco. Right. So the, the pisco, pisco sour, sour. Yeah. there's no debate about who created that. Okay. Well, there is a debate, but it's not between the Peruvians and the Chileans. Ah, who's it between? Well... That's difficult. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Lots of it's, well, they say a gentleman called Victor Vaughan Morris, mm-hmm. um, who came from Utah, um, created it first. Uh, he lived in Salt Lake City, but he had a bar in Lima called um, the, the Morris Bar, famous right. bar that supposedly that's the first place that Pisco Sour was served in the early 20th century. Okay. But actually, the Pisco Sour dates back further than that if you are talking about Victor Vaughan Morris. Right. It okay. dates back to when he worked in the railways, not as a barman, but as, as an organizer and a manager in the railways in the Andes. He was brought over by his boss who was running the railways, American company from Utah, from Salt Lake City, who built the first railways to bring the mines, the, the, the minerals from the mines uh-huh. in Cerro de Pasco this place in the Andes. Okay. And on the day that the inaugural railway station and the railway line was supposed to be inaugurated, in, which was in 28th of July, 1904, the same day of our Independence Day, but oh, in ni- not, wow, not, okay. not exact day, it wasn't 1904, yeah. our Independence Day was before that, but the same day of the year, on the 28th of July was when the railway uh, line was supposed to be open in Cerro de Pasco that came from Lima. So Victor von Morris was scuttling around, looking around everywhere for a cocktail to make. He was looking, he, <laughs> he knew the whiskey sour. Right. But there was no whiskey. So he says, what, what, what you guys got, you locals? They said, we've got Pisco. So he replaced the Pisco, for the whiskey for the Pisco. For the, Pisco. Ah. the Pisco Sour was thus born, 1904, Cerro de Pasco, on that very occasion. Wow. Loads of dignitaries from the US and from Lima, the aristocracy, the people working on the railways, they all came to Cerro de Pasco for that moment, for that day. They tried the Pisco Sour. They loved it. Yeah. I, I, and boom. I can see why. <laughs> some little light switched on in Victor Vaughan Morris's mind and said, if, I, if all goes wrong here in, in, in Cerro de Pasco, so, one day I'll open a bar in Lima. And he did. And he did. In the 1920s. Amazing. And there is a debate about the beginning of that because I found a cookery book from the 19th century, the late 19th century, and it has the, re- it's the same recipe as the Pisco Sour, but it's not called the Pisco Sour. Oh. But it has the same recipe. Right. So, and this was, this predates 1904. Oh, so. So sorry to be a geek. Oh, yeah, no. But this is the work that we do. This is the work that I do. I investigate recipes. I investigate tradition. And I rescue it. I represent it. I, I try and find the truth. Try and find the people behind there. I've spoken to Victor Vaughan Morris's granddaughter. Wow, really? She's in the US and we, 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 we've hung out on Skype. That's so, so cool. So, but, but, you know, but, but I found this recipe book that's ancient and it's got loads of recipes of dishes, but at the back it has a recipe oh. that has the same ingredients as the Pisco Sour. Wow. So that's why I contest the Victor yeah. Morris as the founder. So what are the ingredients for Pisco Sour? 
Freshly squeezed lime juice, uh, traditionally egg white, same as the whiskey sour and many other cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, pisco. And you can use a blended pisco, which we call acholado. There's a whole story about why it's called acholado, which means a fusion of races, actually, as well as ah, okay. as well as just um, a mixture of blends. So, so it could be used with either an acholado or ideally a cabranta grape pisco. Right. Okay. So it has to be one of those two. Yeah. So those, the mix of those, lime juice, gum sugar or sugar, uh, a pisco, uh, a little bit of egg white, and on top, chuncho Peruvian bitters or Angostura bitters, but right. we prefer chuncho. What's the difference between chuncho and Angostura bitters? Chuncho, chuncho actually uses aromatic Peruvian herbs Ooh. from the Andes and the Amazon. Like it's a mixture which, of those. Any in particular? We could have paiko, we could have muña, we could have uh, pacay, we could have a, a different variety. And are they more like herbaceous or are they just different types of aromatics? Just different, just slightly, slightly different. A bit more, um, I'd say a bit more sweet. Um, you know, there's a viscose to it. There's a bit, there's, there's some spices like cinnamon and clove as well in there as well. Okay. So. And then go back to the pisco. So it's not a wine. Pisco is um, pisco is made with few, pure grape juice. Eight right. kilos of pisco makes one liter of okay, eight, eight kilos of grapes, grapes. makes one, ki- one one liter of pisco. Right. Okay. Um, it's fermented. It's distilled in copper stills in the same process as brandy, and left to rest for a minimum of three months. Okay. It's clear, um, so it's not adulterated with any water right. or aged in any oak barrels, okay, which is what the Chileans do, yes. which tastes delicious, by the way, mm-hmm. but it's different. Um, so it's pure, clear. And what does it taste like? What are they like green fruits are there or is it more um, like citrusy or tropical fruits? So like there are kind of? eight varieties of grape that we use for Pisco. Ah, okay. So Sometimes you make a Pisco from one of those eight or sometimes you blend three of those. Okay. The blended version is called uh, acholado. Achol- that's the acholado. And the pure okay. version is just called pisco. Okay. But within those eight, eight, there are four that are aromatic and four that are non-aromatic. So, okay. for example, the Italia grape sits on the aromatic side mm-hmm. and the non-Italia grape, uh, which is the, non, the, the non-aromatic grape, is, is a quebranta, for example, as I've just mentioned. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and I guess, I guess, and by the way, the, the aromatics um, are more, you, you need more grape to actually make a litre of Pisco on those as well. Right. Okay. Um, and there, there's, there's a couple of different processes, but the basic process is the one I've just mentioned before. Yeah. Um, and just to say that the non-aromatics are probably the easiest to drink, uh, to, to, to mix with cocktails, because they are, they're not so funky, shall we say. Yeah. They're not so spiky with their different <laughs> yeah. flavours. They don't have such a curve and windingness in the flavour. Okay. Um, I, I, I describe Pisco as, as very light, very luxurious. I describe you know, it has. You know, it could have to the to the to the uninitiated. It could have um, some elements of of like the best sort of mezcal and, and tequilas that you have. Ooh, okay. A bit of bit of hint of um, a, a, a vodka in a way as well. I, I always think it's very light and luxurious. Okay. There is a grading that we follow in Peru that is thirty eight to forty two percent proof. Right. If it's okay. any higher or lower, it's not called pisco. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Very, so otherwise very it's, tight parameters. Absolutely. Yeah. And when, when, we're, when we're distilling, 
to choose the pisco, we we cut we cut the cut the nose and the tail of it, because the nose is more concentrated, less right. concentrated, and the tail is far too concentrated. Oh, so we look for the perfect it's moment perfect to moment. mix that blend between thirty eight and forty two. Okay. And then, um, so I've just actually tried, which was amazing, a, a normal egg white pisco sour against a vegan pisco sour. And you've just come up with this, haven't you? I was apparently the first to try it outside of the team of six. So I'm very honoured. And I must say, it was incredible. Are Thank you, you. going to give us your secret? Yes. Or not. Well, well, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, you use... Chick- we, we created a, a chickpea water. Right, that was to kind of To kind of, and concentrated that, to kind of have the same consistency of the egg white. That's all. Okay. Uh, but it's it takes amazing time. because it, takes it tastes to do. Um, yeah. just the same and the texture's spot on, really, really silky and creamy and... You can't. I was going backwards and for, forwards, wasn't I, between the two, just trying to taste the difference, but I couldn't. Yeah, and, and you know, and that's that's the beauty of it. People come to us because they know us as the home of Pisco in London. We're the first. You know, before we started, there was probably five five hundred bottles of Pisco sold in this country. Now there's probably about sixty thousand. Wow. Okay. And we're we you know our restaurants and bars consume the majority of those. Um, and we don't serve whiskey, rum, gin, or vodka. We only specialize in Pisco. Okay. So we, we, we like that purity. We're experts in this. And yeah. barmen from other restaurants, whether they're Peruvian or not, because many places serve a classic Pisco sour or yeah. Pisco cocktails, they all come to us to find out what the best flavors are, our knowledge. Because we also have infusions and marinations as well from the Pisco oh, that we then add for cocktails. So we've been making a whole variety of a whole variety of Pisco sours for the last six years in our different restaurants. Uh, not just the one that's the classic with yeah. the lime juice, but also some with purple corn, Ooh, some wow. with strawberry, some with uh, all the different infusions that we use. Cat's claw bark, which comes from the Amazon. What's that? Camu camu, acidic fruit that also comes from the Amazon, wow. extreme vitamin C. And so a whole variety of delicious Pisco sours and Pisco cocktails. Um, and so this idea to kind of, you know, we've been making, I guess, vegan, you know, uh, cocktails and pisco sours for a long time but but I guess we just took out the egg white and yeah. because people wanted the exact flavour you know in this in these last few years wanted the exact flavour but completely vegan but with all the texture that that lovely egg white brings to some that some enjoy and some don't uh, some because they just think might, they might think egg white is a bit yucky or, or, or they're vegan yeah. so we thought we'd make this amazing cocktail and it's just it's just fabulous oh yeah it is i think obviously we've we've come to the right place then haven't we um to (laughs) talk about pisco sour well um i'd love to chat more about peruvian ingredients but i don't think we have enough time but um i definitely recommend everyone to come and try the vegan pisco sour because honestly you won't be able to tell you can do a little test with your friends you know see who can decide which which is vegan and which isn't? Um, but you can get those. You're going to be able to get those across all of your restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. Uh, Pisco Sour Week, for Pisco Sour Day, yeah. and uh, all year fr- round. From then on, <laughs> Pisco Sour Year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for letting us come in and telling us all about Pisco Sours. Pleasure. Thank you. And finally, here's Elliot Brindiza learning all about Carl Sots.
Hello, and I'm here with Joseph, who is head chef at Brindisa. Mm-hmm. And tonight we are celebrating the Calzotada Festival, which is a big festival of a calzot. Can you explain to us what one of those is? Well, the calzot originally is an onion that they cut in the middle and they put in the solid. And uh, when they, the onion start to grow, they put, this, they put uh, on the top more soil, solid. Okay. To make the onion still growing, 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 but they right. cover all the all, maybe a week or every three days. Wow. But they start, they see the the plant is growing up, and if for keep all all the white and be um, uh, tender. So it starts off as an onion. Exactly. That is exactly. Normally, one onion they take uh, around a calzot. Okay. Yeah. And it looks quite a lot like a spring onion, doesn't yeah. it? Exactly. It's, uh, yeah. It's look, but uh, you see that it's big. It's, it's bigger. Yeah. And uh, they take maybe three weeks something to okay. to grow. Yeah. And what's the flavour like? How is that different? It's a very sweet. Because you serve it with a romesco sauce, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, we're having a celebration of it tonight. Is mm. it is it a specific season that they grow in? Yeah. The calzots they start in the end of November. Right. And uh, they finish uh, when the, the spring starts at the end of March. Or something. Okay, uh, so it's quite small. The best season, the best season is in January, February, right. uh, middle of March. This is the, when is the best season. And so they eaten quite a lot. People a kind lot, of a lot, a lot. Really? Have, uh, <laughs> some people they can um, because they make a uh, uh, how you say concourse uh, uh, championship for how many calzots you can eat. Oh really? <laughs> One time. Oh my goodness. I don't know how many, but some people is eating a people get a crazy. Massive, <laughs> you imagine after in the stomach and the fermentation that they yeah. can be. <laughs> Can't imagine that's going to be that good for you, but <laughs> exactly. And are they only grown in a certain part of Spain? Or? Yeah. This is original in Catalonia, more in the center of Catalonia, in Valls, this the town. They start, they start to extend it all around Catalonia. Right. And now they start to expand all this tradition to the rest of Spain. Okay. And even outside of Spain. But the problem is, that how, is the, how to manage the difficult to bring this product to another, to another places. Right. In so Spain you... it's more easy. Yeah. But we are lucky with Brindisa and now we can have calzots every week here. So when did you first bring them over to the UK? When did they... When did you first have them at Brindisa? When uh, we started with the calzots was yeah. uh, around six years ago. Okay. Like and yeah. you just bring more and more back each year? Exactly. More now popular. it's more popular and many restaurants now in London, they start to... Yeah, to people are recognising the yeah, them yeah. more. And yeah. e- even in the British restaurants, not only the Spanish one. Eh? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. And is it a quite a big like family festival? Do people exactly. really... It's a, uh, it's a very social uh, lunch uh, that you have with the with the people, and uh, and it's funny because you can dirty, you dirty your hands, and it's, uh, it's funny. It's, it's quite uh, messy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and also, how so? How are they actually cooked? How well, cook? the calzots have to cook the the best way is um, is to cook with the grape tree. Right. They keep it when they cut it for the, the grape tree for the new season. They keep the... for one year, when it's very dry. And what what's wrong with the tree is that they flame very quickly. Right. And the calzot has to be uh, cooked in the flame. 
Uh, non so the low charcoal. So open, open fire. Not open fire. They mm. burn completely from outside. Oh, wow. You wrap it, and after they're still cooking, when it's wrapped. And okay. it's, because it's very, it's very tender onion. You don't have yeah. to cook uh, and, much. Yeah. Just to take a juice, all the sugars that they have. And so is it quite soft when exactly, you're eating it? Very exactly, soft. Exactly, because it's, you see, it's very tender. It's, yes. an, it's not a... a it's, like yeah, baby. yeah. <laughs> we are actually sat surrounded by cow spots right now, so <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Um, yeah. And after when uh, the tradition is when you finish to cook the the calzots and the the, char- the the flames down down, yeah. Then you start to cook the meat and yeah. the farra and all of that. So what? Yeah. So I know we're having more than just the calzots tonight. What else do you serve yeah. them with? Normally we eat in the butifarra, this is a, a traditional sausage. Right. Then it's just pork and that's it, salt and pepper. And the black butifarra then is making with a, with a many parts of the air, cheeks. Oh, wow. And all these parts of the pork. Yeah. And it's, nice. the, like a, it's similar to the morcilla, the Spanish morcilla. Okay. Lovely. And after the... We made the roasted uh, vegetables, the artichokes yeah. that now is in season. Yeah. We roasted as well. Amazing. And this is the more and finished with the crema catalana. Perfect. It's like a big celebration of veg. For, for me, it's the perfect is the cava. Oh, really? Yeah, it's for me, it's the best. For the, yes. I know it's wrong because all the area when it's uh, growing the calzots is all the viñedos, all the wine. Okay. Uh, that's what yes, and uh, this is more all associated with the all, all everything in the, embar- in the environment. I'm looking forward to eating yeah. it. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Thank you to you. That was this week's Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new February issue now or go and download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.